Shalom Aleichem, David. Hello, hello. How is your uh, semester treating you, Sam? It is uh, just one big joy ride. You got the joyous uh, bags in your eyes at this moment that yep. aren't usually there. Yep. Uh, My hair is just growing at, an, at a tremendous rate. <laughs> Looking more disheveled than usual. Yes, no, definitely. This is um, early so, se- mid-September. Everything I could have dreamed of. Uh, most certainly. Who do we have today for people? Wait, Dave, we're just running into it that fast? I guess. I mean, is there anything you wanted to talk about? No, Dave, nothing off the top, but I think we've consistently been informed that banter is a positive ingredient in this uh, trafe stew, and I just don't see why we would cut it short. That's true. I mean, we, we could talk a bit about who we're talking to and why for a while. Like, okay. I think we could stretch that out a little bit for people. Yeah, let's see how far that goes and see if we have to add any filler. But um, today we have interviewed that we couldn't fit into our anniversary special that we aired a few weeks ago. Yeah, I think uh, in the biz they say it was uh, left on the cutting room floor. Not because we didn't think the guest was important, but just that it didn't fit with the theme of the episode. But the the person that we spoke with was Yoni Goldstein, who's the editor of the largest Jewish newspaper in Canada. It's the Canadian Jewish News. The, and Trafe diehards will have already heard him speak on the podcast. Yeah. And if you listen to the podcast, specifically like earlier episodes of the podcast, when we were essentially just reading the Canadian Jewish News and responding to it, <laughs> uh, you'll know that the politics of this paper do not really line up with the politics of the show. Within the confines of the paper, they don't allow viewpoints that are not Zionist, for example. And we've had a lot of disagreements and online sparring matches with uh, different members of the Canadian Jewish News. Yes. However, I was referencing the fact that Yoni has been on the podcast before. Oh, that's very it's very true. Uh, we, did, <laughs> we did interview him uh, once before this. Yeah. I mean, this also wasn't the most confrontational of interviews. Yeah, I mean, this is supposed to be a part of our anniversary special, so we're trying to focus for a change on the things that we have in common. I, I looked up some things about our shared experiences. Uh, I, we both grew up not too far away from each other, um, although we do, of course, talk a bit at the end about the paper and our feelings about it. Yeah, so we actually tried to couple it with the editor of the largest North American Jewish paper, who kind of brushed us off. Uh, Sam's burning all our bridges. <laughs> I mean, this person probably won't listen. I think from this person's vantage point, our show is beyond irrelevant and could only produce negative results Mm. uh, from their appearance. Yeah, so for anyone who doesn't know who we're referring to, it's a publication that rhymes with Orward. And without any further ado, here is our conversation with Yoni Goldstein. Ariana Katz from Kaddish Podcast, doing well in diaspora in West Philadelphia. Wanted to update you about an event we had in West Philly last night with me and Jonah Daniels of Nair Bridge Candles. We studied Tachinas, which are Yiddish women's prayer from the 17th through 19th century, although they're much older, and which they describe making soul candles for the days of awe, making candles for the dead and for the living. You can read more about it, shameless promotion, on my website, kaddishpodcast.com. May we have a sweet, sweet new year of justice and connection. And, and so, Yoni, just to start off, have you been listening to the show? Yeah, I listen to every episode. So how would you describe the show? Oh, well, are you are you trying to get me to get involved in this uh, hashtag? You're hashtagging your new show? Because I was <laughs> thinking about it, but I couldn't come up with anything better than what you already have. So, uh, but what, I th- what do I think about your show? 
you know, I don't think our politics always agree with each other, which is fine, and that's the sort of thing I'm usually looking for when I'm reading or listening to podcasts. I don't want to hear something that I already know or that I can, you know, I can expect to get uh, at any, uh, you know, Jewish community event that, that I go to. Um, and I think it's important uh, that there's uh, media criticism out there. Look, you know, we don't have, we no longer have a very large Jewish press in Canada, I mean, the CJN is the only national paper. Uh, you know, there was the Jewish Tribune. They're gone. There was an Israeli paper that was based out of Toronto. They're gone now. Uh, there are some, um, you know, there are some newspapers in Jewish communities across the country. Some of them are independent. Some of them are run by Jewish federations. So, you know, you kind of get a, a mixed bag. But, you know, considering that we're really the only ones out there on a national level, I think it's really important that there are people out there critiquing us and, you know, and bringing other viewpoints, either things that we missed or, you know, responding to stuff that's in the paper. One thing that we talk a lot about on the show is kind of the role that the Canadian Jewish News plays in terms of an inspiration for what we talk about. I think it's safe to say that without the Canadian Jewish News, Trafe would not be the same podcast. And <laughs> obviously, we disagree about quite a few things on a pretty consistent basis which is highlighted on the show. But we thought it might be fun to just go over a couple things that we do have in common. All right. One of those things is that I found out that I think that we went to the same high school. Really? Where'd you go to high school? Yeshiva or Chaim. Yeah. 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 So what, what year? Um, it would have been uh, 2001. I think it was in the ninth grade. Oh, okay. So I, I graduated in 98, maybe, maybe 99. That was an interesting four years. I mean, <laughs> I lived, I lived uh, at the time... I grew up a couple of blocks away from the school, which is sort of in, you know, for, for people who don't know, it's kind of in, like, Jewish Toronto suburbia, the center of Jewish Toronto suburbia. But, the you know, the, the good part, at least at the time, was that, especially if you lived really close to the school, you could kind of do whatever you wanted. You could be in there, you could be out of there. I used to go home most days for lunch and um, show up back to school at some later point when I felt like it. I actually have a question because when I was at that school, there was this persistent urban legend about these caverns underneath the school that you could access. And there was a, an understanding that the older kids had access to this at one point. Yeah. And then uh, uh, there was a science teacher who quit. And on his last day, he pushed his desk and showed us this entrance. There, was, there were these stairs if you unlocked a door to get into these caverns. Did you know about this? Yeah. Uh, it was there for a very, very long time. I don't know when it started. I would have, I would guess in the early 90s and maybe even back in the 80s. When I was in the school, it was much easier to get down there because I think there was an entrance either from a storage locker or from what was then the student council room. So it was very easy to get down there. And I know one guy, I won't mention his name, but I hope he hears this. Who, uh, who was a year older than me in school, and it remains a friend to this day, he at one point rigged up uh, all kinds of electrical lighting down there because it had originally just been sort of, it was like a cavern. It was, it was an undug basement. And he did some of his own renovations, a really handy guy, and sort of made it somewhat livable down there. I know I, I didn't hang out there a lot, but it, uh, it was sort of like the secret club hiding space going back for a while. I'm not, I'm really not sure you can get there anymore. I think they probably they've probably covered it up. I can't tell you both as an outsider how unbelievable this sounds. <laughs> <laughs> well, this has like Harry Potter vibes to it. 
Yeah, I mean, by, by the time that I was there, the part of the urban legend was that it was all sealed up because they found out that all the kids were doing drugs under in the caverns. Uh, yeah, but I mean, they were also doing drugs in Balmoral Park across the street. <laughs> they, they never closed that up. Now I take my kids there. So, you know. Full circle. Okay, so yeah. moving on to another area of commonality that we discovered is that Mordechai Bendat, the former editor of the Canadian Jewish News, in addition to giving you your start in journalism, also gave Sam his. No way. That is true. I did not know David was going to be talking about this, actually. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he... So what, how, how did he, what did he do for you? So I was like 14 or 15 in Montreal, and I emailed the largest weekly to ask them to write about sports. And for some reason, they said yes. And then I thought I was a journalist. And do you remember, I don't, I don't know, this was probably 15 years ago when there was some like kind of incendiary device that was left in the lobby of a Jewish school in Montreal? Yeah, I vaguely recall that. Yeah, so my, the combination of like uh, opportunity and my belief in my journalistic self, uh, I just pitched a story to Mordechai Bendat about talking to my friends, basically. But I framed it as like an insider report and he uh, ran with it. Cool. I mean, <laughs> look, I, I, I knew Mortify a little uh, a little bit before I started here. I, I, he was in my, my dad's law school class, and, you know, my parents and Mortify and his wife have been friends for years. But I don't think you'll find a person who will say anything other than Mortify is the nicest guy in the world huh. and will do anything to help anybody if he can. The last, just to, uh, before we move on from the commonality area, the, the, the last thing we wanted to mention that I realize we all have in common is some relationship with uh, trying to flip up the front of your hair as someone who has kind of curly hair. Yes. Wait, David, how, is, do you, how do you know that about is, Yoni? I, I saw some pictures. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is the ongoing struggle. Um, I, I don't... I don't really know what to do. I, I've it's been 36 years and I still haven't figured it out. And basically, at this point, I just wear hats. Yeah, I mean, I've been joking with David about this for a little bit because we've spoken, I guess, now in the last year to a bunch of people, and the topic of hair and hair flipping has definitely come up on numerous occasions. And I feel like the subject is ripe for some kind of longer piece. Yeah, it's definitely a part of 1990s Ashkenazi Jewish male life. Yeah, you know, event, you know, you try and try for years like and I tried you know, I tried growing it out really long to see what would happen. That didn't work. I tried cutting it short. That didn't work. <laughs> so I just said, you know, whatever. Like hair, you do whatever you're going to do and on the very rare days when my hair looks half decent, I don't wear a hat, but I have accumulated a hat collection for the many days when my hair does not cooperate. Okay, so I'm a Montrealer. I've been visiting Toronto a lot recently, and I kind of was wondering if the CJN has a party line on Drake. Mm. Um, you know, we've tried to, I've tried actually in vain so far to get him to write something for the CJN. I, I haven't given up on it completely. But the the line is, um, various people here like various numbers of his songs, and we like that he is Jewish, and that's about it. Okay, I also feel like the half 15-year-old journalist in me would also maybe think about reaching out to a maternal figure in his life. Has that been mm. attempted at all? Yeah, we've, t we've tried to talk to, we've tried to talk to, you know, him and members of his family and other Jewish people associated with him. It's been a bit of a tough sell. 
Uh, so Yoni, just since we've uh, established this common ground, we want to bring up something we talked about last time that we had a conversation together, which was the presence of leftist voices within the political landscape that is the Canadian Jewish News. Mm-hmm. And uh, last time we were talking, you were talking about how under your editorship, you want to see more of a balance of different types of voices being in a conversation about different types of things. And it's definitely clear to us that the presence of a leftist voice that is talking critically about not just the occupation, but the general realities of colonization in Palestine, about the workings of the federations here, a whole host of things has actually gone a bit in a different direction. And I'm wondering if over that period of time, you've seen a similar trajectory. Look, I think it depends on how you define left. Um, you know, we've added we've added colonists like Bernie Farber and Mira Sukharov, who are you know, especially Mira, is, you know, constantly sort of pushing the boundaries on the types of things that you might have expected to see see in the CJN in the past. And you've got guys like Dove Marmer and Yair Lustein who are writing about occupation, writing about the way Israel treats Arab citizens and the way it treats Palestinians in a critical way. So I don't really see it the same way as you. Now, you know, if you're talking about the left being, if you're talking about the left being, you know, pro-BDS, anti-Zionist sort of types of view, yeah, I, I don't think, I don't think you're going to see that in the CJN. And, you know, that wasn't what I was referring to in the first place. Uh, when I when I said what I did say, I think it's important for there to be a balance. But I, you know, I think there are also limits. And you know, and there, and you know, you you guys you guys are critique this often on the show, and I appreciate that. Like I said before, I think you know, I think there's a thought experiment that I often do when I hear critiques from the far left or the far right saying, you know, why aren't there more of these types of voices in the paper? And so, you know, the question I would say. To somebody who's saying, "Well, why aren't we talking about, you know, why aren't we, uh, why aren't we offering pro BDS opinions or op eds in the paper?" I'll say, "Well, you know, if I did that, if you know, if the CJN did that, and at the same time, in the interest of balance and fairness, we gave a column to people who were, you know, supporting some of the work of, you know, far right groups like, let's say, the Jewish Defense League, would that make would that make people happier? Would that make them more satisfied? And I think the answer is no. I don't I don't think anybody on the far left would willingly trade their call their their commentary for commentary on the far right. And I think the same is true going the other way. You know, there's um there's a pretty big tent Maybe not as big as there is in American Judaism, but there's a pretty big tent in Canadian Judaism. And I think we do pretty good of representing that. Does it include everybody in the Jewish community and every opinion that might be associated with Jewish people in Canada? No, and and frankly, that's an impossible task. That may be why we need, uh, you know, why we need some more publications why the uh, death of something like Outlook is bad in general for the Jewish media landscape. But as a community paper, the the charge obviously is to cover as much of the community and give voice to as much of the Jewish community as possible. That doesn't mean every voice gets in and every opinion gets heard. I definitely understand what you're saying. It's a Zionist paper. Those are the bounds. You can have liberal Zionism on one end. You can have far-right uh, you know, nationalism on the other but I mean, look. You look. You look in this week's paper, and I, and I don't know. I don't think anybody else has covered this really. But you know, there was a there was a big protest in Hebron last week, 
where um, I believe it was mostly diaspora Jews went and protested the, the Israeli government's actions. There were a couple of Canadians who were involved in that group, and we tracked two of them down, and we tracked two of them down and, and talked to them. I'm not sure in the past you would have seen very, very many efforts to for the CJN or any uh, Jewish media in, in Canada, major Jewish media, to do that. So I think it's there. I really do. Again, like I, I understand, but I think it's important to situate the left-right spectrum as you're presenting it within an assumed Zionist position. You know, the CJN is a Zionist paper, but... I think that's suggesting that that you're not giving a platform to people to the left of Zionism because that would require an engagement with, you know, the JDL and people farther to the right. Occasionally, there are references to the JDL that come off as pretty supportive. Like there was a video of a JDL protest that was posted to the Canadian Jewish News website. There is the reporting about how, you know, the Jewish Defense League coming into conflict with anti-fascists that kind of went through some gymnastics to only refer to their opposition as anti-Zionist. So I, I feel like it's a bit disingenuous to to say that there can be no engagement with the far left because that would require an engagement with the far right when it seems no, like there I'm already is. Say, I'm, that, that wasn't what I was saying. What I was saying was I think that if somebody on the far left or the far right said, well, why isn't my opinion getting in the paper? If I were to respond and say, okay, you can have your opinion in the paper and I'm also going to be giving a, a space for an opinion to the complete other side of the spectrum, how would you feel about that? I don't think the response would be, great, that's that's perfectly fair and perfectly reasonable. So, and as for the video, I think you did some good work in pointing that out, and we removed that video quite quickly when I found out about it. Well, I mean, if the Canadian Jewish News is ever interested in hosting a far-left and far-right perspective on a particular <laughs> issue, I, I know that both of us would be more than happy to indulge if it meant that Mayor Weinstein was writing the opposing column. Uh, so just, just, just putting it out there. Have you, have you tried getting him on the podcast? <sighs> I think it would probably, res any engagement at all from us would probably result in our family's homes being picketed in some way. So I think it's probably not a good idea. So the question is whether you, whether I have a better chance of getting Drake for an interview or you have a better chance of getting Mayor Weinstein. <laughs> That's an excellent, well, I guess as, as uh, the next year goes on, we can check in and see we'll which, find of, us, out. which yeah. of us got the interview. Well, Yoni, thanks again for taking the time to talk with us. Yeah, uh, my pleasure. Anytime. And, uh, and keep up the good work. I'm listening. Uh, thanks. Well, I hope the listeners enjoyed this interview. If you have any hats to send to Yoni, you should send them to the CanadianJewishNews.com or wherever their address is. CJNews.com cjnews.com can't send things to us <laughs> if you have any connection to drake or drake's family and you think you could hook up an interview send that to trafepodcast at gmail.com and if you have any further information about the series of secret tunnels that existed under the high school that we went to uh, please send that information over as well speaking of jewish musicians and the platforms they use to reach people we should remind people that we are in the midst of a campaign to annoy all our listeners into sending us iTunes reviews. Do you know why we're doing it? And this feels like a very backwards justification for nagging, but no one has really done it. We actually got an email yesterday from someone. I saw that. Yeah. Hat tip to that person who we won't name, but thank you for reaching out. Who was taking us up on our highly unethical offer of allowing us to ghostwrite their iTunes review of our show. But that highly unethical offer still stands. And remember, we need a positive review, five stars, and then words under those five stars. Great podcast. Love their banter, et cetera, et cetera. But we hope you liked the show today, and we'll be back in two weeks with another episode. Bye.
Pew pew. Right, yeah, I gotta. Okay. I'll call this guy.